brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK, Alzheimer's Society, Race Against Dementia and the Alzheimer's Association, bringing you research, news, career tips and support. Uh, hello and thank you for tuning in to the Dementia Researcher podcast. I'm Dr. Nicoletta Dasculidou and I'm a postdoctoral researcher in the UK Dementia Research Institute in Cardiff. It's my pleasure to be hosting this special episode recorded on location from the ADPD conference in Gothenburg. Sweden's second city, Gothenburg, was founded in 1621 and is the birthplace of Volvo. This is the first show in a two-part special, bringing you all the news and highlights from this massive international conference. Today, we are going to reflect on the scientific program and the talks that have taken place over the first three days of the event. Joining me to share the highlights are Dr. Susan Mitchell, Dr. David Koss and Elizabeth Inglis. Hello, everyone. Hi. 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 Thank you all for joining me. I think we can start by going around the table and do some proper uh, introductions. You can tell us a little about yourself and your work. Would you like to start, Susan? Yeah, hi, I'm Susan Mitchell. I work at Alzheimer's Research UK, one of the UK's leading dementia research charities. Um, I'm actually in the policy and public affairs team. I'm head of policy. So I'm really interested in understanding what's happening with the science and then how actually you can start to implement that with an eye on things like new treatments with lecanemab on the horizon and other treatments we're really interested to know what that means how you're going to convince policymakers to perhaps implement that and what that means more broadly so i'm taking quite a top level approach and it's but it's really interesting to see the most cutting edge science happening that's amazing thank you and uh, let's continue with david hi um, i'm david koss uh, i'm a postdoctoral researcher at the university of newcastle um, and I, I th- effectively work on a variety of different neurodegenerative diseases, and that includes Alzheimer's disease, but also dementia with Lewy bodies. Uh, and uh, whilst the majority of my work looks at post-mortem human tissue from uh, the Newcastle Brain Tissue Resource, um, we also look uh, in a variety of different models. Uh, and I'm particularly interested in cell stress uh, responses that occur as part of the neurodegenerative pathway. Uh, and really at the moment, I'm very excited about uh, DNA damage. Uh, and I think that really holds uh, a potentially therapeutically uh, exploitable pathway that we can, we can look into for a variety of neurodegenerative diseases. Thank you. Interesting. And Lizzie? Hi everyone, I'm Lizzie English. I'm a second year PhD student at the University of Cambridge, based in the UK DRI there, but also the chemistry department. And my work looks at protein aggregates, also in post-mortem brain tissue, actually. And I'm looking at how those proteins change in their size, shape and number across Alzheimer's disease specifically. Amazing, thank you. And for those who don't know me, I'm, uh, my research interests include the role of innate immunity and inflammation in Alzheimer's disease. So I'm fascinated by the complement system and its critical role in AD pathogenesis uh, that makes it a potential therapeutic target. My focus is on uh, complement receptor 1, uh, CR1, which is a big GWAS hit, genetic hit for late onset Alzheimer's disease. And so my goal is to provide the knowledge about how CR1 confers risk to AD. I use stem cell models and also human brain tissue for controlling AD samples. Uh, so thanks everyone. 
Um, before we get into, into your highlights, I should ask if any of you are presenting this week. Yeah, I have a poster on, on, on DNA damage intervention with Lewy bodies. Um, and it, the poster number now, I believe, is <laughs> 726. Um, and uh, through that, I will show you how alpha-synuclein is present in the uh, nucleus of uh, human brain cells, um, but also how that affects double-strand DNA breaks. Uh, and then I'll talk you through some proteomics analysis we've got as well. So please come by. Awesome. Yeah, we hope to find you there. <laughs> I've got a poster as well. Um, confusing with the abstract numbers. It's abstract number 11, but I'm at poster 7. At least they're close together. So okay. you should find nice. me. And my poster is on my postmortem studies in Alzheimer's disease, how phosphorylated tau increases across the disease stages in certain brain regions, but not all of them and how the size and shape of those aggregates changes across the disease. You'll have to come to my poster to see more. We do, for sure. Thank you. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I've also, I also have a poster. Uh, it's number 107. I double-checked it. Nice. <laughs> and uh, uh, this is on my recently published work, establishing that uh, complement receptor 1 is expressed in the brain and ombre cells because it's, there was a controversy in the field over this. And uh, also, I so I present in the poster some new cool functional data showing the impact of the CR1AD risk variant in uh, IPS microglia phagocytosis. I use synaptoneurosomes from control and D tissue. So let's get to the highlights now. Uh, David, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, I'm going to start with, unsurprisingly, something to do with DNA damage. Um, this was a, a really good talk um, uh, yesterday from uh, Moto Beno, Dr. Moto Beno, uh, from the University of Texas. And whilst I've been focused on dementia with Lewy bodies, um, what I thought was really nice about this talk is it, it looked at uh, DNA damage or changes in the nucleus across a variety of different neurodegenerative diseases. So there was Alzheimer's disease, but there was also dementia with Lewy bodies, um, as well as PSP. And um, what they really started to do was to just look in postmortem human tissue uh, and investigate morphological changes in the nucleus. And actually, something just as very simple and straightforward as measuring the size of the nucleus, they were able to demonstrate that there were changes going on that were associated with the pathology. And in actual fact, it was cell type specific and it was disease specific. So what they found was that in Alzheimer's disease, you have an increased uh, size of the nucleus, suggesting that you have a kind of opening up of the chromatin, uh, which may be an indication of DNA damage. And that was present in both neurons and astrocytes. But then actually in dementia with Lewy bodies, it seemed that there was a shrinkage of the nucleus. And so that, that suggesting that the chromatin was actually condensed, you might have reduced uh, transcription that's going on with that. Um, and that was actually present not only in the, the, the neurons, the astrocytes, but also the microglia. So it seems like there's, there's a variety of different cellular responses that are going on in these neurodegenerative conditions. What I thought was very nice was that the focus was really mostly on, on tau. Um, and again, tau is one of these proteins that's beginning to be understood to also have a role within the nucleus. So they were able to show by using um, tau oligomers that if they applied this onto, uh, I think it was primary neurons, um, that that very quickly induced a cytoplasmic 
type pathology, but also nuclear sites uh, type type pathology. And again, they were able to kind of recapitulate these changes in uh, neuronal uh, nuclei size as well. Um, and I think I think it, 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 it's a very very interesting study, particularly as it highlights that there's this commonality of DNA damage across the spectrum, but also that it's an early occurring phenomenon. We see that ourselves in various uh, models as well. So it's not just the result or the end stage of you know a long period of very uh, toxic environment, but it's something that's triggered upon you know the arrival of these toxic species. Um, and of course, it's very exciting because DNA damage is something that you know the cancer fields have been studying for a long time, and there are many drugs that could actually be repurposed or at least investigated for for use across the you know yeah, across the spectrum. Yeah. So it was a really excellent talk, actually. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Amazing. Are you planning to use any of the techniques that you? Yeah, well, so, yeah, I mean, we, so myself and the speaker actually had a quite a, quite an extensive conversation in the morning um, about um, various different approaches, actually. Um, one thing that we've, we've kind of focused on is actually subcellular fractionation. So taking human postmortem tissue and separating out the, the, the nuclei so we can then do downstream proteomics. And um, for, for his purposes, he was... Um, saying that that'd be something he'd be interested to pursue. And certainly for, for us, I think actually, we already have measurements of the, the nuclei because we're, we're looking at this in a immunohistochemistry and we're already investigating levels of you know, markers of DNA breaks. And so we already have these areas, but we haven't actually just looked to see about the size difference. So it's just something we can you know, yeah. quite kind of quickly go back and look and it'd be something I'd be interested to kind of follow up on. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Very interesting. Um, Susan, would you like to share a highlight of yours? Yeah, I really enjoyed one of the um, opening talks by Kai Blano, who did a real summary of where we are with blood-based biomarkers. I think that's a feature of the conference. There's quite a lot of excitement about progress of biomarkers and, and how they can be used. And from my perspective, I'm trying to think about what does that mean for the kind of the clinical pathway, for the impact for patients. And we know that Blood is really interesting in terms of how it might help us enable treatments to get to patients. Um, the current diagnostic biomarkers around using CSF or PET are brilliant in terms of kind of their use in the research setting, but are really problematic to put in a clinical setting because they're just not scalable, they're quite invasive, they're really expensive. So blood's really intriguing, but it's how you get it closer to the patient. Um, and I think he did a, a really nice summary of uh, across, across the spectrum, much of it well established. But the bit that I was really intrigued by was obviously appreciating that sort of a single blood test, how are you gonna use it and what does it mean? And I think he quite nicely recognized that you can really think about a blood test, either really identifying people at really quite high risk of you know high amyloid status um, or really low, that those are quite clear, but it was the people in the middle that are a bit more problematic and really identifying that perhaps that's a group where you would then use a further diagnostic test. And I thought that was quite a nice model that you could take forward. So for me, that was a, that was a nice highlight. I totally agree with you. I joined this talk as well, and it was really, really, really interesting. Um, and you, Lizzie? Sure, so also in that introduction, um, there was a talk from Professor Dennis Salko, uh, it's really amazing to have world leaders like him talking at conferences like this. It's fantastic. And um, obviously he's one of the founders of the amyloid cascade hypothesis, 
and his talk was largely about amyloid beta and its importance in generating um, Alzheimer's pathology. But the most interesting part that I found out about it was some new unpublished data where they'd used cryo-EM to look at fibrils in brain soaks. So the past work has all been focused on brain homogenates, which contain a whole mixture of different proteins. Whereas the soaks we just think might be the soluble proteins that are extracted from the brain. So a different um, variety um, within the brain. But they've managed to pellet these proteins and they've found the same structures of the amyloid beta that they found previously. And that's completely new and very interesting. And it does inform my work going forwards as well. So I don't use cryo-EM, I use super-resolution um, fluorescence microscopy. But that should hopefully as well, we'll see, we'll see, time will tell. But I'm hoping as well as those fibrils, I'll see more soluble aggregates as well, which you can't capture with cryo-EM. So that'll be interesting for me going forwards. Amazing, thank you. Thanks. Um, so would you like to share another highlight, David? Sure. Um, we'll, we'll go to my first love, which was uh, tau pathology, actually. Nice. Um, I was very interested in um, several of the talks actually in the uh, tau immunotherapy um, session, and I think you know we're we're now at this stage where we hear an awful lot about uh, amyloid immunotherapy, and I mean there's still a little bit of debate as to whether that's really going to be effective or not. Although I, I would say that I think some of the evidence that we're seeing now is is very supportive that that you know this could really be something very beneficial, but of course you know with with targeting beta amyloid, that's that's extracellular, mm. and so when we're we're trying to look at you know clearing intracellular tau pathology, there's actually you know far much more complications to to the story of that, um, and I think the the session was led by uh, Lou Blue from um, Bordeaux University, and really I think he he did a really good job of kind of introducing some of the key questions that that people need to establish. So one, do we want to start uh, to to kind of target extracellular tau, or do we want to target intracellular tau? Is there a particular epitope that's going to be more effective at clearing this? And actually, in terms of disease specificity, well, we know that you know um, pathology in various tauopathies sometimes just involve the three R isoforms, but also the four R isoforms can be involved. Or you have Alzheimer's where you have a mixed isoform involvement. And so you're going to have to really carefully select which antibodies you're going to use depending on which disease you want to you want to target. Um, what I thought was very interesting was the the idea that you have obviously the kind of prion-like spread of tau pathology, but even that most of that's not extracellular. It's you know extracellular vesicle bound, or it's in tunneling nanotubes, and so really trying to get antibodies inside the cell. Is a, is, a, is a main point of uh, focus. And they were able to show that actually moving away from conventional antibodies, we could use something like a, a nanobody, which is effectively a scaled down antibody. I think there was another term which I quite like to call it. I think it was a, a, a midi body as well. I don't think I'd ever heard that, but it was quite nice. Mm -hmm. in, in, in any case, they were able to show that this, this, um, the, the, these antibodies were more readily taken up intracellularly and in fact, there was even elements where you could put and package these antibodies into adeno-associated viruses. So you could effectively deliver immunotherapy using gene therapy. And perhaps that's something we want to kind of consider when we're kind of looking at 
trying to clear a tower that's continuously building up. You know, it's going to be one of these things that you perhaps can't necessarily have a, a, a vaccine against, or you can't immunize against, but you can you can use the the, the antibody as, as kind of ongoing treatment. Okay. And I thought that was really exciting, actually. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It sounds really cool. Mm. Yeah. Would you like to share a second highlight, Susan? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm just here for the blood, but um, <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed some of the symposiums. And I think from, from my perspective, those symposiums offer a really nice high-level overview, and particularly coming from not being quite clo as close to the coalface of science, of the science and research that's happening, you kind of get a much a, a sense of what's happening in a way which really just pulls it together. Um, and there's so much happening in, in kind of the blood world with all of these different you know, interesting sort of areas and assays, which is, it, it kind of, it can be quite hard to keep up. So I, I really enjoyed, there was a session led with Jeff Cummings, Oscar Hansen and Charlotte Tinnison, apologies if I've butchered her surname. Um, and I, I found it just really helpful to understand the areas of interest, both in amyloid and, and tau. And I think that relationship with the, the tau plasma biomarkers is really intriguing and in how they actually are probably clinically going to be most helpful. Um, and everyone seemed to pretty much be putting their money on um, PTAL217 as, as that blood test of, mm -hmm. of choice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even just getting that as a re is a helpful to really get, you know, you can read a paper, but it's, it's in the room when you hear everyone go, yeah, I think that, I think that, which really helps you go, okay, that's one we should really focus on. And from a policy perspective, that's really helpful because actually you want to be able to go and say to people, that's the blood test we need to try and implement and that's why it's going to matter. So that was really helpful for me. But I heard about new new interests, about relationships between PTAU 386 and total tau I hadn't heard about before, PTAU 205. These are all new numbers. And again, it's <laughs> it's really interesting to kind of know which are the numbers of choice and what's coming forward yeah. ahead. So, And then, you know, as an aside from that, there have been other papers and posters, I think, just looking at, even really basic stuff like time of day when you take your blood sample, if you've eaten something, and all of these things are going to really matter and really matter when you're actually putting this research into kind of real life. If that matters, we need to know about it because that's going to radically change the results we get and its reliability. And so even nuggets like that I found really helpful to kind of just think about, oh my goodness, there's a lot to think about. So yeah, really interesting sessions on blood for me. Thank you very much. And you, Lizzie? Sure. I'll stay on the tau theme. We've had immunotherapy, we've had diagnosis. Um, so a talk that we just had to quickly leave to come to the podcast, but it was Ina Vorberg. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, but she talked about how tau aggregates might actually spread between cells, which was really interesting. And it apparently depends on a virus that's embedded into the genome already um, rather than necessarily a virus that has infected people. So I think they're called HIRVs, uh, human endogenous retroviruses, and these are repressed less with age, so you have an increased probability of the tau aggregates spreading between your cells and therefore um, spreading Alzheimer's disease theoretically, if that indeed does link to the symptoms. So that was just a really interesting theory that I hadn't heard before. That sounds incredible. It was amazing. I've never heard that before. No, yeah. um, I'd never heard that. I'd heard there might be a relationship between viruses and um, induction of inflammation in the brain, but yeah. in terms of yeah, aggregate spreading, that. it was mm -hmm. really interesting. So I'd recommend having a look at the recording yeah, of that. Yeah. For that. To watch it on demand. Mm. Nice. Thank you, Lizzie. Um, does anyone else have uh, something that you particularly want to highlight? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I've still got a few things that was that have really kind of taken my interest. I think one of the things, and actually, I don't, I don't think I've got the kind of notes here, but one of the things I was very interested in was alpha-synuclein uh, PET ligands. And I think, you know, for, for a while that's been really interesting and it's been something that I suppose basic scientists like myself have been interested in because we, we hope that at some point through serial cases we might begin to understand if there's a difference at the kind of anatomical point of origin for alpha-synuclein aggregation. So whether that's in the, you know, the, the basal ganglia you know, associated with Parkinson's or whether that's in the neocortex associated with dementia with Lewy bodies. And for a while, it seemed like there's some some promising results with some uh, PET ligands that are capable of showing higher retention times um, in uh, various uh, synuclinopathies. But I, I think my, my take home message from that was that really progress has been made on multiple multiple systems atrophy. And these, these ligands work very well in that, but interestingly, not so well in, in Parkinson's disease and in, in dementia with Lewy bodies. And Although it's great to see the progress, I think it's a little bit disappointing because really what, at least as I understand from clinicians, what they would require is something to delineate dementia with Lewy bodies in, in an early stage with that of Alzheimer's disease. And so having these kind of tools that you would be able to do PET and to understand where um, the alpha synuclein is depositing would be really beneficial for early stage treatment. Um, but, you know, I. I I believe you know the, the the talks did seem to end on a more positive note, with uh, some new candidates coming through that, that seemed to be at least better in in Parkinson's disease. And so I'd be really interested to see how, how that kind of follows up and develops. Mm, that's interesting. I'll piggyback off that. But in terms of the differences between the synucleinopathies, I'm an Alzheimer's researcher primarily, but I have been to a few synuclein talks as we've gone through. And I know I keep bringing it back to basic science, but we're keeping things varied. Um, the structure of the aggregates, they believe to be different between mm -hmm. the different synucleinopathies, which is really interesting. I think that was Yang Yang's talk with Shaw, Shearer's Labs, mm -hmm. um, cryo-EM work. So it could be, depending on that, um, yeah, that might affect Yeah, it. I mean, I think, I, I think that is a challenge as well, because obviously the, the different conformations that mm -hmm. alpha nucleins. Uh, kind of adopting is going to change how it interacts with the pet ligands. Absolutely. I also saw a um, approach to that using um, partial proteomic digestion, mm. um, and by by using kind of weaker proteases that would break alpha synuclein at different sites, depending on how it's folded, it would be protected from those enzyme activities, and so then it it, it allowed people to to kind of understand whether that was uniform in different synucleinopathies across different brain regions as well. And I thought that was, again, that was, that was something that was very interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's indeed. Thank you, thank you both. Um, uh, does anybody else have any more highlights to mention? Yes, um, I that really enjoyed the plenary talk this morning. It was bright and early, I had to get up <laughs> very it was early. A day, yeah, it was. Yes. <laughs> But I was there. Um, so this was Dr. Melissa Murray's talk, and this was My about clinic, yes. Um, yes, this was about neuropathology in the brain, which is really interesting to me. I've not worked on it personally, but it gives a nice context to all of the aggregate work that we do. 
and she just gave a very engaging talk to be honest I don't know if anybody else attended the plenary but there was there was a choose your adventure and you got to vote on which presentation you wanted her to give and yeah um, one was the travel adventure on uh, temporal changes and the other animation adventure on spatial biology what did you vote I voted you for the, the second one, that, one yeah, which me was too. chosen. The one that was chosen, yeah. She actually prepared <laughs> two presentations. So the audience chose. So wow. it was, yeah, it was really mm-hmm. nice. At the end, I actually wanted to ask her, can you present the other one too? Yeah. <laughs> Double bill, please. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was mm-hmm. really So I really speaker. enjoyed it. And the results were very interesting as well, linking tau to phagocytosis and various toxicity mechanisms, yeah. which is important to consider. And I'll be taking away with me lots of the tau antibody names to go and research for things that I should be looking into as well. Uh, Before we wrap up, I wondered if you might like to briefly talk about the event. So what do you like about this conference or what do you dislike about it? I mean, I'm happy to say, I think it's one of those big conferences. So there's lots of parallel sessions, which is great. But the kind of, you know, the fear of missing out can be significant yeah. and as ever you know what the title is and that brief abstract does not tell you whether or not you're going to get a choose your own adventure session for example exactly. and you know the yeah. sessions go start early and run late so it's quite a commitment to get to everything throughout the day yeah. during um, one session i had to change three rooms yeah because it was neuroinflammation microglia xenotransplantation work xenografts that i want to work on so it was yeah, yeah. it was a bit challenging and while but, there is an app i don't think it's particularly helped me plan my time i haven't been able to pull out my no. personal itinerary to go well i need to be here here and here which yeah, would be it nice booked a lot of the things yeah while i was yeah, yeah. i so, think sorry I know, like, no, no, there's just a lot going on Mm. and I think it's quite hard to kind of I think balance those sort of big you know the the big talks with also getting into the detail I've I've struggled with yeah yeah I mean I think uh, you you mentioned the app I mean I suppose if if I was going to say a couple of things that could be improved on I think perhaps the the app would be would be one of them Um, it's nice it's nice to have the app actually I mean you know, it's not 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 all, every conference has an app, I suppose. So I mean, it is it is good to have it, um, but I think often just just even just the, the kind of navigation and the use of it could be a little bit more, bit more refined. It's a bit slow, I think, and, and clunky, especially if you're just yeah. pulling something up to, it's to run. every like ten minutes. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. And particularly if you're abroad as well, and you're Sorry, maybe not linked this. to the. To, to the Wi-Fi as well. It's actually, you know, more data use as well. So, um, but I think th- things I really enjoyed, I think it's the, the diversity of the subjects that have been on, on offer here. That's been one thing that has been well represented. So I think, you know, I think that's, it's been very interesting. It's always really nice to have the conference ADPD, where it's actually not just focused on, you know, Alzheimer's disease or, or, or Parkinson's disease. And I think, again, and actually, I'm not sure that I've seen that come through so much here, but, you know, we, we also have this growing understanding that there's heterogeneity in the pathology that we're seeing in many dementias. So we really do need to be kind of moving towards integrating the knowledge from multiple fields of various diseases so that we can truly understand the human condition rather than working in isolated sections. So I think ADPD is really good for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'd agree with that. As someone who mostly does Alzheimer's research, it's important not to forget about all of the other things going on and how closely related they are. 
with um, neurodegeneration patients often experiencing comorbidities as well and how those all interplay we don't really know yet so it's good to get the big picture thank you anything else that you disliked or liked about the conference i mean i'll go for it <laughs> in terms of the main dislike that we've kind of agreed on between yes. us um and it was right at the beginning of the conference as well which was quite jarring to be honest as we all sat down excited for um a yeah, week have to of... mention the opening as yes. well the opening ceremony true but, true but there were some good things about the opening yeah, there was an there introduction were. by mm -hmm. queen sylvia of sweden opening the conference that was exciting yeah it was exciting and <laughs> it was really nice also she said uh yeah her personal experience with the disease mm -hmm. with her mom and brother and uh, i also liked i think that her words were really inspiring because uh, she used some words of encouragement, like she said that she never lost hope that uh, we would one day beat the disease. So I think that it was really nice. And then we can continue. <laughs> I hate to be the yeah. bringer of the bad news, but it's important yeah. to talk yeah, about. Thing, yes. So um, the organising committee for ADPD, it's my first ADPD, so I don't know if this has historically been the case, but the whole organising committee were um, kind of leading the introduction and they all happened to look pretty much identical, maybe with slightly different beards or moustaches, but they were all old white men. Um, and in science in general, um, where it's been historically so and um, kind of continues to be in some cases that leadership is dominated by um, white people and men. Um, this was quite shocking to the audience of increasingly diverse people, I would argue, um, to not have role models in the leadership that are representative of the audience. And it does seem quite exclusionary not to even have any sort of token diverse member. It just unfortunately wasn't a consideration for them. Um, and that does make me think about because they are the organising committee, how they've organised the talks throughout the conference, whether they've considered diversity as a part of that. I would argue that it's, I mean, it's not hard, but it has been better than the organising committee. There has been some diversity That's throughout true. the talks, yes. but um, it's still definitely something to improve on in future, I would say. I think, yeah, I, I think I want to, I guess, kind of pick up a little bit on that in, in the fact that, yes, you know, these these are the people who have been on the organizing committee and clearly they've spent many years working together and organizing these of things course. and yeah, now as, yeah. as things are changing and things are hopefully improving um i think i think it, it just does seem very jarring but your your point about just even realizing how bad it would look yeah. there should have been that discussion because it is it's an obvious one that as far as i'm aware most people in the audience that's on their mind a lot mm -hmm. now and so perhaps it does show a little bit of a disconnect between i suppose you know the the old guard and and, and the new the, the new generations that are coming through mm -hmm. at the same time it was nice to see that there was diversity in the in the junior faculty that's award nice. winners as well and that was that was yeah. very nice you know so i mean per, perhaps it's just one of these things where um yeah some more self-awareness could have could have been yeah, implemented, I suppose. I guess it depends on how that organising committee is convened in the first place, isn't of it? Course. And I think, how, how do we ch challenge that to make sure that that's intrinsically diverse from the start? Because that's when you start to make the change. And yeah. that then also would probably also 
further diversify the kind of people that are speaking and presenting. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think we see this time and time again now where actually it's, you know, as you get further up, it is, you know, the representation, the diversity, uh, not just in terms of gender, but also in, in terms of, you know, race or, um, or, or a variety of different um, disabilities um, um, and uh, neurotypes as well, actually, it is just completely lost. And then I guess, and I appreciate, you know, much of this is at the basic research side, but apart from the Queen of Sweden, you know, that lived experience is, is quite distant. And I'm not suggesting you, you need to kind of have that in every session, but I think it's always good to have chances to be re reminded of what we're trying to achieve here. Um, and there are different ways of, of doing that. And I, I guess as ever, it's always good at conferences to think about what that can look yeah. like. So that's possibly a challenge. To, yeah, to like the convenience. I really enjoy the uh, UK meetings, uh, ambassador. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's a really Puts excellent everything point. in perspective, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Particularly the recent Air UK meeting, actually. Okay. Um, that Good. was that yeah. was absolutely yeah. excellent. It was really thing. very, very important to have someone talk yeah. about their, their experience with dementia. Mm. And I think also even, you know, and it's broader than that because it can be about how people are involved in research and why that matters. And it, there are different ways of doing that. And I, yeah, I appreciate when you are using, you know, brain sa samples, that is quite remote. But yeah, I think it's always good to think about how you could do that differently. I think my only other comment would be, obviously, um, I think the farmer stands have the best coffee. And <laughs> I've been trying to peruse and do an objective uh, study across all of the companies that offer coffee. They, it's far better than the standard coffee, and only one of them has pastries. So which them which is the best? Yeah. Um, oh, okay, I've only, I've only sampled but two so far, so I don't feel I can give okay. my full full evidence results just yet. Okay. So one with the longest queue. Yeah, yeah. I, well, that's, yeah, that's pretty true. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I guess one more thing to bring yes. up because we've been talking about it a little bit, but I don't yes. think we've actually got it into the podcast yet. Just the poster organisation is very disorganised. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as the abstract booklet stands, the numbers don't link up with the poster board numbers, which is confusing for the people presenting the posters, but also anyone who looks through the abstracts and finds something interesting that they'd like to learn more about. So this mm -hmm. seems like quite a simple fix, hopefully, um, for ADPDs going forward. Yeah. Can yeah, I just so. sorry? Can, can I just say whilst whilst we're talking about the posters, there is mm. there is one other element which has happened now for two years in a row, mm. which is to produce a physical poster in portrait, portrait and then <laughs> yeah, an online yeah. poster in landscape. landscape means you effectively produce two posters, mm -hmm. and realistically, I can understand the physical constraints of presenting a poster in the real world but online i don't understand why it has to be in a different orientation you can have it as large and in any orientation you like and it doesn't matter because it's online mm. um and i think that that is a little bit frustrating yeah. from the, the the organizers and i know that that's been fed back last year as well so hopefully yeah. moving forward there will be a there'll be an improvement in that but that is kind of, you know, that's it seems small, but actually when you're producing that poster to have to kind of create two, it's actually a huge amount of work. Yeah. And as yeah. you said, actually if I'm looking on my phone, it's worse being landscape. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. True. Yeah, very, is, very true. Yeah. yeah. Seems ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. You can always zoom in and see what you want to say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely agree with that. 
Um, I guess I I hate to be the person bringing all the <laughs> constructive criticism, but you know we've got to do it. Yeah, um, I would say it was touched on a bit earlier by Susan, but the long days and um, with how kind of the sessions are structured, I would say it's not the most accessible conference I've been to in terms of that, but also other things as well. Um, so I'm perfectly healthy and um, not disabled in any way, but I'm exhausted just after one day of the conference. Um, I can't imagine what it's like for some people here. So I think they could consider that a bit more going forward as well. And in terms of in the common spaces as well, there's not much seating. Um, there's not even many tables, so it's just little things like that, that I think would make a huge difference to some people um, for next year. I'd agree with seats. I think yeah. more places to sit down. You shouldn't yeah. have to sit on the floor. No. So. And it is hard because it's a big conference and, you know, that ebbs and flows and there'll be pinch points when there's a lot of people that want mm. to seat. But I think it's small things like that actually make yeah. a real difference Definitely. to, as you said, yeah. how you can then refresh and enable your to, to exactly. make the most of the opportunities that yeah. are there. Mm, yeah, I had conversation with people who, uh, yeah, combined on these kind of things on coffee, sitting, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> but those things the matter, basics, and you know, the food, you know, those the basics get those yeah. right mm. when your hierarchy of needs, and then you can, you know, your head is ready for all of that cutting edge science. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So the next question is, how would you say to, uh, what would you say to anyone listening who might be thinking of coming next year? So next year, by the way, it's uh, the conference takes place in Lisbon, so it will be March. 2024 in Lisbon. So, would you suggest to people uh, come to the conference? I mean, I love Lisbon. Lisbon <laughs> is uh, an amazing city, um, and you know, I, I think it's, it's it. It is one of the nice things that we we get to do, where we get to go to you know various cities over Europe and in fact all over the world to to not only share our ideas but you know but, but to also see a bit of the city and so it's been really nice coming here i've never been to sweden before really enjoyed it um and you know in lisbon it might be sunny so i think i, I think that could be that, that that would be you know really quite exciting i think to see a bit of sun in in march yeah Absolutely, yeah, I'd agree. True. And as much as I've complained, I have enjoyed my experience. There's been I some know, amazing talks. Joking. Yes, of course, yeah. amazing talks. Um, it, yeah, going to conferences is great to learn about all of the things happening, but also to generate those new ideas that you can't quite get from just reading papers on the internet. Um, and I would say ADPD is the world leading conference for basic. Alzheimer's and Parkinson's research but as Susan said also the diagnosis side and the drug developments as well so it really is a fantastic conference and Lisbon's great so <laughs> I wouldn't advise against it definitely considering. I totally agree with you guys and I'm uh, I think that yeah it's very important and it's much I mean it's as you said it's not the same thing reading the papers and then I mean you can meet the person here and ask That's details so about experiments, about a lot of different things, or uh, form new collaborators, or collaboration, sorry. So, uh, in fact, I'm, I've been collaborating with a team in the US, and it's the first time I saw them in person after three years, so that was amazing. That's really exciting. Uh, yeah, it's really nice. And, yeah, so it's, it's a good opportunity. Yeah, I had some stats here. There are... <laughs> 1100 posters. <laughs> I've only looked at 673 on site talks, 346 on demand talks, over 4,000 participants from 60 mm. countries. 
seven plenary talks and 112 symposia. So, yeah. yeah. So, we'll probably yeah. have to go because we have a lot to do now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so, that's all we have time for today. We're all going to rush away to this afternoon uh, sessions now. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening. And if you want to find out more about any of the research we discussed, head over to the ADPD website. The online portal is open for another 30 days and there may still be chances to register. Also, please stay tuned for the part two of the podcast. Uh, that will be recorded at the end of the conference. Uh, thank you to my fabulous guests, uh, Lizzie English, Dr. Susan Mitchell and Dr. David Koss. I'm Dr. Nicoletta Vasculidou, and you've been listening to the Dementia Researcher podcast. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.